also, I do need to motor on because we have got another chapter of Ephesians to work through. Uh, I know it's a six-part series because I wanted to cover a chapter a week. Um, just to let you know, it's going to balloon out to seven weeks because um, next week's chapter, oh, chapter four is just a little bit too dense to cover in just one message. And as um, Nebi has kindly pointed out to me, our messages are getting longer and longer. But I feel like a used car salesman because I keep saying, but there is more. There is more in the Word of God that we need to cover. Um, Ephesians is broken up into two halves, and today we finish the first half. Uh, Chapter 3 is actually a real kind of like pivotal chapter because Paul in this chapter summarizes uh, the first half of the book. And basically the first half of the book, as we have been talking about already, is about God's grace and His love for us and His creation of us as part of this new humanity, right? And so there's the beautiful half of Ephesians. And then the second half talks about what we look like, what we do in the light of what Christ has done for us. If you will, this is the way that I like seeing it. The first half is Paul describing how God makes us a family. And then the second half is about what we do, how we look like, what we behave like as a family. And you know, when I look into this, I think something that seems to have happened in in our modern Christianity is that we focus a lot on the first half. We focus on God's grace and God's love and the fact that God has created us as a family. If you will, I call that the unconditional elements of our family, right? And we love that, God's unconditional grace, God's unconditional love. It is powerful. It is what has caused many of us to put our faith in God because of God's unconditional love. We love it. But the second, but what I realized is that when we camp on the first half of Ephesians without moving to the second half is that we love calling ourselves family, but we don't behave anything like it. We don't know what family looks like because we don't talk about it. But then what I also realized is that I came from a tradition that was a little less focused on the unconditional love of God and more focused on how to behave as family. And so we, had, we camped on Ephesians 4 to 6, if you will, and we talked about how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to do things, and, and we talked about it, and I realized that it was a really graceless kind of living. It was just religious, legalist, uh, legalistic kind of behaviors. It's like, you need to be nice to one another. You need to submit to one another. Rah, rah, rah. And it felt like what I was trying to do was to earn God's favor in order to stay as part of God's family. What we need to realize is that we don't just need Ephesians 1 to 3, and we don't just need Ephesians 4 to 6. We need Ephesians 1 to 6. And that's why uh, Ephesians spoke to me, and, and that's why we did this book as our series, because I think it's important for us to talk about the unconditional elements of family and also the conditional elements of family. That's how I'm going to summarize the whole book of Ephesians. The unconditional, what you can receive as part of this family is love, grace. But the conditional elements of our family are what helps keep us together in unity. Just like, it, you know, I, I was speaking to some people and, and I said, you know, you will get unconditional love from me. I want to be able to love you well, uh, but intimacy with me, closeness with me requires that we actually have time together. My unconditional love does not work when we don't meet up. 
Does that make sense? Imagine yourself married to someone and at the altar you say, unconditional love, but then you never see each other. Three months, six months pass, and then you finally have your first conversation. Is there unconditional love? Possibly, probably, if it's a commitment that you're willing to make. But is there a closeness and an intimacy? No. And so what we need to understand is that this is what God's grace looks like, and this is how we operate as a family because of what God's grace is like. And so chapter 3, just letting you know, this is a week that we finish off this whole idea of what God's grace does in our lives. And then next week onwards, we're going to talk about what happens from there. And so let's get into chapter 3. And Paul starts, uh, verse 1, saying, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And if you are reading in NIV, you have this dash. And what happens here is kind of interesting. Paul starts writing a thought, for this reason, I, Paul, hang on, we need to stop here. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you will find that Paul uh, restarts, if you will, kind of restarts this chapter uh, in verse 14. In verse 14, you read, for this reason, I, da, 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 right? And there's this big pause. Paul was writing and suddenly he realized that he needed to deal with an important issue. Anyone want to guess what this important issue is? Anyone read chapter 3 this week? No, it was actually the fact that he raised, that he said, I am a prisoner. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. Hey, we actually need to talk about this. The prisoner Paul. And you know, for us as modern day Christians, we um, have read through the Bible, hopefully, at least once or trying to work through it at some point. I understand that there are some books that you skip. Um, but Ephesians isn't one of those books. Paul's letters aren't those books that you need to skip. They are actually written in quite an understandable way. And we, so we understand the story of what Paul does. He is a missionary. He plants all these churches. And part of his life is that he becomes a prisoner. But we on this side of eternity... Oh, not this side of history, not eternity. On, on this side of history, we know that Paul being in prison was a good thing for us. Why? Because Paul wrote the letters in prison. If Paul didn't go to prison, he would keep traveling and he would keep preaching. And we would not have records like Ephesians, like Romans, like Galatians, like First and Second Corinthians, like First and Second Timothy. Those were all uh, literature that was produced while Paul was in prison. The value of Paul being in prison is that generations later, we get to have insight into his theology and build our lives based on his revelations. It is powerful and it's amazing. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who was living in Ephesus at that time. Maybe you heard Paul preaching and, and, and Paul was talking about this Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin. And you know the Roman cross is all about uh, uh, being a cursed one. It, it, it is a great disgrace. But that was God dying on the cross, disgraced for me. That is a strange thought. It is a crazy thought. And, and the more you listen to Paul, the more something stirred up inside of you. A God of grace, a God of love. That is the kind of God that I want to live 
for. I don't want a God that requires me to do all of these things, to sacrifice things, and I'm still left at the women fancy. I want a God who is real. I want a God who is amazing. And Paul's God sounds like it. So you begin to lean into the community that Paul uh, is heading up and, 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 and you find out that, oh, oh, I'm now a Christian. This is kind of uh, crazy and intense. And, and Paul's continues to, uh, Paul continues to teach and he says something kind of strange. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what discipleship is about. We're going to talk about that a little bit later uh, in, in our info session. Come along for that. Cheeky plug. Um, uh, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and you go, yeah, okay, this isn't so hard. I just have to watch what this guy does, how this guy talks, how this guy thinks, how this guy works through life, and I will get a sense of what God wants me to do in my life. Yeah, kind of cool. And finally, after a couple of years, Paul goes off on his journey and says, remember all I've done, remember all I've been teaching, you know, I will write to you, I'll help you out along the way. And then a little while later, news comes to you that this guy got thrown in jail for inciting riots. Yeah? Think about that. This guy said, follow me. It's like, oh, do I incite riots now? Do I get chucked in prison? Do I literally give my life to God to, to, to profess this Christian faith, what is this all about? Should I continue to listen to Paul? Should, uh, should Paul's message continue to be relevant to my life? What does him being in prison mean? And so when Paul was writing this letter, he possibly considered, oh, maybe there are a few of these people that don't get uh, what it means for me to be in prison. And so Paul goes, so for, no, Paul, prisoner, oh, let's deal with this whole prisoner thing before I go on to what I want to share. And so he writes in verse 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Surely you have heard. And I think it's a bit cheeky because the church was built because of what Paul did, right? So he's like, you guys know who I am. I'm a prisoner, but I haven't changed. I'm still Paul. And you know that God gave me grace for you. And, I, I, and he says in particular, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. The word administration is quite a cool word. In the Greek, it takes two uh, different words and it puts them together. Well, one of those words is house. It means house and the other half means stewardship. Stewardship of the house. And so what happens when you put those words together is, is that God is the administrator of his household and he looks at his resources and he says, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you what this house needs. I'm not going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you what this house needs. All right, while I'm focusing on that, it will come, um, hopefully it will become clear and then he goes on to say the administration of God's grace given to me, for you. Now, one of the things that challenged me about this verse is that in, our, in my teaching as well, I often talk about God's grace given to you, right? And we often think and we read this, oh yeah, God's grace for me, so great, makes me feel so loved, makes me feel empowered, makes me feel anointed, makes me feel great. But when we don't add for you, 
How many of us truly think that God has administered, stewarded the grace that is found in His house, and He gives it to me for you? How many of us have this concept that grace that is given to me is not for me? God's grace was given to me for you. God's grace, hear this again. God's grace was given to me for you. Say this out. Say this out, literally. Get this in your head. God's grace was given to me for you. We think so much about grace as salvation alone. We think so much about grace as what God is accomplishing in my life. But what God is doing is that He's giving you grace that does make you whole, that does empower you, so that someone else, as part of the household, benefits from it. And that's why all throughout Ephesians, the epistle of grace, we need to be careful that we're not reading you as me individually. We need to read every you as a y'all, all y'all, as a us, a weeness. And when God's grace has been given to me, it's been given to me as a part of a household and as part of a community. If I stop that grace, if all of us operated as though we were dams instead of conduits, if God's grace was given to me for my finances, for my provision, for my welfare, for my healing, for my sake. Imagine if every Christian was a silo when God had given you grace for someone else, there would not be any synergy in the house. And in fact, I will say this, the more you become a dam of God's grace, the less grace will be administered to you. Because God knows what you need, and what you need is not that much. Because what God wants you to do is to be a conduit so that the grace that was given to you flows onto someone else, and you benefit because God's grace, God's grace still touches you and flows through you. You still receive the benefits of God's grace, but it continues to flow. The administration of God's grace given to me for you. Powerful, challenging words there. And then he goes on to say, that is, so he's explaining what this administration of grace was in particular for him. It says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now the word revelation, another interesting Greek word. The Greek word for revelation is the word apocalypse. Yep. What do you think of when you think of the word apocalypse? the end of the world. So God gave you a mystery by apocalypse. What a powerful picture. Now the word apocalypse became attached to the end times because the final book of the Bible is called, which in Greek is, yes. So the final book of the Bible called Revelation or in Greek, uh, the apocalypse. And so when we read Revelation, we think that is about the end times. We think about the blood moon, about the beast and the, uh, and the, and the harlot that rides the, the, the beast and the little horn and the big horns and all the weird horns and that come out in, in Revelation. We think, oh, that's what the end of the world is going to look like. A whole bunch of weird beasts that roam the earth. No. The book of Revelation is called the Apocalypse. 
the revelation that was given to John. What was this revelation? A revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, we've shortened the word revelation. It is meant to be the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. That's what the final book of the Bible is actually called. We shorten it to revelation and we think, oh, revelation is about the end times. No, it's about revealing of God's glory. It's a revealing of Jesus Christ. One day when I'm brave enough, we will do a series on revelation. But God has not administered to me that grace yet. But when we read the apocalypse, it's about the revelation. It's about God taking the veil away. It's, it's about this mystery revealed. And Paul associates the mystery revealed with God's grace. What do you think about that? We often think about God's grace as some kind of weird power substance. You know, you take a Gatorade and suddenly you're full of energy. No, no, no. For Paul, it was like this. There's mind-blowing, spirit-revealed mystery. How many of us give time for the apocalypse of God? For God to actually reveal something to you? God, I'm going through this hard time. Can you just give me your grace? All right, thanks for your grace, God. Off I go. It's like, God, I'm trying to explain why you're going through this difficulty. I'm trying to reveal my plan. through. Maybe that's the grace of God. When we pray for God's grace, do we give time for that grace to be revealed? Yes, sometimes it's supernatural strength. Yes, sometimes it's supernatural healing. But sometimes it's a supernatural revealing of God's will. And on our busyness, we are so distracted. I know for a fact that over the last year, I've struggled to read my Bible. Because having a kid in the house, I used to have my toast or my oatmeal and read my Bible in peace. <laughs> I don't know what peace looks like in the house anymore. It's like, I've got a son that doesn't talk, but he says, eh, a lot. And so when I'm trying to eat my food, he's like, eh, feed me, eh. Eh, eh. Oh, where's, oh, I'll just read the Bible later. And I found that I'm digging into my reserves of God's revelation that He has been building in my life as I have been disciplined in previous seasons. But I realize I need discipline in this current season so that God's apocalypse, not His end times, but His revelation can sustain me and help me through. And so he continues to talk, and he says that he's already written briefly about this revelation, which is chapters 1 and 2. And so he's saying that when we read chapters 1 and 2, it was God's grace that was given to Paul. Think about that. I thought it was two chapters of words. For Paul, it was God's grace given to him. Think about that. Some of us are like, oh, so much so many words that are so hard. God's grace given to you. God's grace for you. God's grace. No, no, it's not hard. It's God's grace. Well, it is hard sometimes, but it's God's grace. You know, there are different kinds of food. There's like oatmeal, which is nice and sticky and stays on a spoon for my one-year-old kid. And then there's a steak. A nice, juicy, meaty steak. 
that I have to cut through and chew through to get his nutrients. Some of us want baby grace, and some of us understand that it's time to move on to steak grace. My son will spit out a steak, and that makes me angry. Because I'm like, I'll have that steak if you don't want it. But some of us are still baby steak, a baby oatmeal grace people. When God is saying, come deeper, I've got more for you. All right, I'm going to have to power on, saying too much. And so he says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What is this mystery? Well, he explains it. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Why did Paul say that this grace was given to him for the Gentiles? Because the revelation was that God desired that his body be universal. It's not just for the Jews. And so for Paul in that season, as a very consummate Jew, if you know Paul's story, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was Jew through and through, and suddenly the revelation that God gave to him is like, no, 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 the gospel's not just for Jews, it's for everyone. And, and, and he got a glimpse into God's desire for this universal family, and he's got, God, you're asking me to do something about that. I am compelled to be a missionary. You see, when God reveals his character and his heart, it also reveals to you what is not yet accomplished, and what you get to be a part of. God's grace compels us because He brings us in into His plan, a revelation of His plan that is not yet accomplished that you get to play a part with. And some of us have become so caught up in what I need and what I'm doing that we've got no time for God to reveal where His plan is meant to be worked through us the administration of God's grace to me for you. Have we gotten so calloused in our hearts that we talk about God's grace to me for me? Have we gotten so busy that God's grace to me has just been that I get through today? Or is there a sense that God is revealing something bigger, something more grand, something more significant, and then he says, this is my grace to you for them. For Paul, it was amazing. He was saying, this mystery of God's universal family has not yet been revealed to anyone in previous generations, only now. And it compelled him. What is the only now revelation that God wants? I'm not saying that you're meant to be writing more Bible. I'm not saying that you're going to be something so like Paul and going to mission. Some of you might. But what I'm saying is that God has a grace that is being revealed that looks like a plan, His plan, that you're meant to be playing a part of. And one of the things that I found is that my purpose in life, when I find that is in alignment with what God is doing, there's an ease, there's a meaningfulness there is a grace. You know, some people ask me as a church planter, 
Lyft has been going for six years. Why would you choose to do that? You know, I'll, I'll reveal something to you. I was actually approached to be a part of a bigger church. A nicer payday. Better hours. Well, no, it'll be worse hours. But, you know, I have been approached before. Say, don't, don't you want stability for your young family? Yes. But God's grace compels me to lead this church. It's nothing about pride. It's nothing about this being like my identity. But this is, no, 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 I cannot see myself not doing this. Because God's revealed something for this house that I have to be a part of. Is it harder? No. It's always hard. No matter where I go, if I'm in another house, it's still hard because I'm pushing against culture. I'm pushing against uh, people that don't necessarily... But your job is hard. You go to your workplace and you've got idiots that you have to deal with. Is your job hard? Yes. My job is hard because it's a job. But God's grace is with me when I'm living a life that I'm meant to live. Ah, seven minutes left. <laughs> Sorry, Nabi, this is going to be another 50-minute message. And so Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. Oh, God's grace for me made me a servant. Oh, I love the message about God's grace on me, making me free. I love the freedom message. I love the hope message. I don't know about the servant message. What was in the Bible? God's grace given to Paul made him a servant. But a servant that is free. And that blows our minds. That's something that you need to ponder yourself. <laughs> I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. <laughs> given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches in Christ. And I just want to point here, Paul actually talks about this whole idea about being the least of the apostles, the, the least of God's people. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he's, he says, I am the least. Why did he call himself the least? Because he used to kill Christians. He used to have a life of killing Christians. And then God revealed himself on the road to Damascus. Go and read Paul's story. And then, and then, and then when he, God revealed himself and then revealed his, his, his plan to bring uh, the Gentiles, and I think Paul had this moment of like, I used to kill people, man. And you want me to save them? Why don't you get one of the 12? The other 12, I mean, 11, one of them. Yeah. Why do you get one of those guys? They walked with you. They followed you everywhere. I used to persecute your body. I'm the least. But God, you're saying you graced me for this? You know, God's grace doesn't take into account or, or doesn't get watered down or doesn't become less because you've been a terrible human being. It doesn't become less because you've been a been abused or had these issues in your life. God's grace is available for those who are available. And when Paul realized who Jesus was, he said, what do you want me to do? And he's saying, if I'm the least and God could grace me for something as significant as this, the modern church would not exist without Paul. The modern church would still be no, it probably would have died without Paul. It would have stayed in Jerusalem. It would have died out during those persecutions in the early years. 
It's because of someone like Paul that the gospel spread and is seen the way that it is today. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration, here we go again, administration, God's grace stewarded in the house of this mystery, the apocalypse, which for ages past was hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I know I'm skimming over some stuff, uh, but, but I like this verse. In him and through faith in him, in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I love this idea that we can have confidence to enter into God's presence. And the picture that I used to get about this kind of verse because it's repeated elsewhere in scripture is this picture of me being like a child entering into God's presence and knowing that I'm safe knowing that is secure knowing that it's amazing but can I say that in Ephesians chapter 3 that's not the picture you're supposed to get in the context of this verse is the grace that gave Paul a mission and so when you have been given a mission you get to enter into God's presence with freedom and confidence. It's not just this la-di-da, I get to go into God's presence and, and enjoy God's presence. Yes, that's in other parts of Scripture. But there are times where you need to enter into God's presence and say, your mission is tough, man. What am I supposed to do? Help me out here. We don't have to hold this mission so tightly as part of our identity. We hold this mission as part of God's administration of His grace. And so knowing that is God's administration of His grace, I can go to His house and say, the administration of grace, how is it supposed to work? How is it supposed to pay these bills? How is it supposed to help these difficulties? How is it supposed to, 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 to reach into all of these deficiencies? Help me, Lord. That's the freedom and confidence we have with God's grace. All right? It's not just individualistic, I get to enjoy God. It's this collective, mission focus, freedom and confidence that you're one of God's generals and you're meant to carry out a mission with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, why does Paul say his sufferings are the Ephesian church, Ephesian church's glory? I was looking to this and a little bit difficult, but I think what I settled on or what makes sense to me is that Paul's saying, I'm the least, right? I'm not this person with some status. I'm not this person that has all this wealth and, and these titles in this world. I came as lowly Paul and now I'm prisoner Paul. The reason why this message stuck with you is because God revealed it to you. It is your glory because you heard from God. And so we need to understand that in our Western context, sometimes we like status, we like titles to back us up. But in God's kingdom, you don't need no status. You don't need no title in order to do God's work. In fact, it's better if you don't have a status or a title because it means that if other people respond, it's because God is working. And we need to get used to that. 
I don't need a title to do God's work. I don't need a title to do God's, uh, to bring God's message some way. I need God's grace and God's grace alone. And that's why we continue to do what we do. All right, so Paul then goes back into his original plan, and uh, what he intended to write. He says, For this reason I knew before the Father. And then from uh, verse 15 to verse 19, um, some scholars say that Paul actually then recaptures all the main themes in the first couple of chapters. All right, so if you want a bit of a summary as to what Paul was trying to drive at in the first couple of chapters, come to uh, Ephesians 3, uh, verse 14 to 19, and you'll get a pretty good sense of the key themes that Paul talks about. Let's go through them quickly. And it says, From whom every family uh, in heaven and on earth derives its name. So Paul's trying to say, once again, that God is the one that created all these families. That, that there's no need for these divisions in our family. There's no, oh, the Methodists or the Baptists or the ACC, the Pentecostals, whatever. He says, no, no, no. Every family has its origins under God and includes every ethnicity. God likes this, uh, God desires this multi-ethnic, multicultural body, which I love that Liv gets to have a little microcosm of because of where we live. And then he goes on to say, I pray that out of his glorious riches... And this is a key theme as well, God's glorious riches. When we think about God's grace, it's never how much does God have. It's always God has so much. It's always out of His glorious riches. His, not mine, His. Out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. He is a seal of our adoption. He is a seal that we are part of His household. All right, and then verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so the Spirit then allows Christ to be the one dwelling in our lives. And, and, and so uh, there's this sense that, um, that there is this person, there's this personal God. And yes, I've been talking about the collective over the last few weeks, but there's this personal God that dwells in our hearts, right? And then uh, it goes on to say, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. I love this because it's so convoluted. It says that, uh, I pray that you, you're rooted and established in love, and because you're rooted and established in love, you will have power to grasp love. How big, amazing God's love is. You're already rooted and established in love. Why do you, because there is this cycle that Paul believes, no, I don't know if cycle would be the right word, but Paul believes that God's love is, is this never-ending well that we go deeper and deeper into. Some of us are happy with salvation love. When Paul sees, no, 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 no. Salvation is the tip of the iceberg. You don't just stop. Well, God has saved me. It's so, so great, so amazing. No, 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 go deeper. What's God's love for you like? Go, go, go deeper than that. Go deeper than that because God's love is wider and bigger. You get started in salvation love and you go deeper into God's full love. So don't just stop there. Keep going. And then he goes on to say, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I believe that when Paul talks about this measure of the fullness of God, he is referring to an Old Testament concept. 
When the Israelites built the tabernacle and then the temple, when those structures were complete, when, when those dwelling places of God were complete, what happened? God's presence fell and it was weighty. It was glorious, so much so that people could not even enter into those structures. I believe that Paul is saying that when we understand God's love, God's love is not just for myself, but is actually, it brings us all together. And when we are all together, what then happens? The temple then becomes stronger. The dwelling place, remember last week I was talking about the fact that the temple uh, that, that Paul was talking about, the dwelling place of God wasn't a physical structure, but it was this structure of believers together. Remember when I got you called, uh, to call each other bricks, right? How do these bricks exist together? God's love. So when we understand God's love, we understand the need for unity. When we understand God's love, we understand the need to come together. When we understand God's love, we pull each other together. I have been part of loveless churches. And no one wants to pull together. People start to form silos and looking after themselves. They become bricks that are scattered rather than bricks that are together. And so what Paul is saying, but when we understand God's love, when we go deeper in God's love, when it's more than just salvation love, when it goes deeper than that, when we understand the love of Christ, we then learn how to love one another, and we complete God's temple together, and then the fullness of God dwells. I pray that this makes sense to you, because the more you live out, no, God, I want to know the fullness of you. I think that what God says is that, yeah, go love your neighbor. I want to know more of you, God. Yeah, go love the person that you don't like right now. I want to know the fullness of Christ. Yeah, yeah, study scripture, do all that stuff, do the personal stuff, and do something about it. And I think that's why we then switch to ver uh, chapters 4 to 6, because Paul's then saying, you want to know the fullness of Christ? This is how you act. These are some examples of what happens when the church is full of God's love. When you understand, when you grasp God's love, it affects how you behave with other people. That's how God has designed us. And then he finishes in verse 20 to 21 with a doxology or an ending prayer. I love these verses. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If we can get the band up. Why I think Paul ends with that is because when we read about his grace as this mission, when we read about his love as this outward, needing this outward action. I think, for me even, in fact, when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, am I enough? Do I have this? Can I do this? Do I have what it takes? And Paul's saying, no, it's not about you. To him, who's able to do immeasurably more, than you ever hope or imagine. God, I hope that one day I'll be ready to love like you've called me to love. Yes, today's the day. God, I hope that one day I'll be whole enough to be able to do what you call me to do. Yes, 
He's able to do above and beyond what you're hoping or imagining. It's not hoping and imagining that you're going to get the lotto numbers. It's not hoping or imagining that you're going to get the next Powerball so you're out of here. It's hoping or imagining that you're calling me to that, God? You really think that you could use me? You really think that you could grace me for that? I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I ever will be ready. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could hope or imagine. Fix your eyes on him, church. Fix your eyes on him. Give praise to him. God, if you could choose Paul, someone who was killing your people, to become the preeminent missionary of history, you can use me. Let's stand this morning. I want to pray God's grace on you. I want to pray God's grace to you. But I don't want to pray God's grace for you. I want to pray that this morning is about God's grace to you for someone else. I want to pray God's grace to you for your mission field. I want to pray God's grace to you for the people that you are going to bring God's grace to. I want to pray that we'll be conduits in this church, not dams. I want to pray that God can use us to do things that are beyond our imagination. I want to believe that God is not just calling us to gather together and have a good time, but God is calling us to understand and to reveal, to bring His apocalypse, that we are called to something so much more. And so, God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray to God that they will have a revelation of your grace, a revelation of your mystery, a revelation that you will call each and every one of us to receive your grace for someone else, for groups of people. I pray to God something will be stirred up in the hearts and the minds of each and every one of us, that we won't be Christians that live in a shell, but God, that we'll be Christians that live out in the community that you are calling us to. And God, I pray that it will not be about status. I pray that it will not be about our comfort, but it will be about your plan. It will be about your grace. It will be about your household. I pray that God, that we will receive the administration of your your grace to us for someone else. And I pray this in your name. I thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to close there. I want to pray for people that are sensing that God has given you a grace, but you don't know what to do about it or that you don't even know that you've been graced and that's something that you're struggling with, that these words about God having given you grace for someone else, it's, it's kind of whack and out there for you. Well, let's just take a moment and let's pray. For everyone else, have morning tea, but I pray that something will stir up. What can you do this week with what God is revealing to you? Who can you reach out? Who can you love this week? because of what God has placed on you. God, I pray that we won't be Christians that withhold, 
but I pray that we'll be Christians that give and give generously. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.